In this edition of Locked On Capitals, I am joined by Luke James of the Hockey Writers as we talk about the Washington Capitals. We'll talk about Alex Ovechkin's gold chase. What do the Capitals have in net? And then we'll talk about last summer's draft. We'll talk about all of that and more next on this edition of Locked On Capitals. Your Locked On Capitals, your daily podcast on the Washington Capitals, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello and welcome into this edition of Locked On Capitals. I'm so glad you decided to join me today. As always, this podcast is free and available on all the major platforms. And I want to thank you for making this your first listen or view of the day. Yes, this podcast is also available in video form. So head on over to YouTube and check it out. And when you're on YouTube, make sure and hit that subscribe button. And if you like the videos, give it a thumbs up. It really helps grow the channel. My name is Dan Holmey. You can find me on Twitter. It's at DanCaps218. You can find the show on Twitter. It's at Locked On Caps. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. So, in this edition, we are joined by Luke James of the Hockey Writers. Luke, welcome to the show. Hi, Dan. It's it's great to be here. All right, so just to get it going here, um, Alex Ovechkin is chasing down the all-time goal leader, but he's got to go through Gordie Howe. Um, what are your thoughts and what are your projections? It seems like it's going to be a very attainable task for him to achieve that goal this year. Ovechkin now has 780. He's 21 away from Gordie Howe. When do you think he is going to pass Gordie Howe this season? So I wrote a piece on this, and it's quite an interesting one to try and unpick. So for context, Ovechkin last season, he scored 50 goals, which, as you said, puts him on 780 all-time. He's only behind Gretzky on 894 and Howe on 801 at this point. So if he were to score at exactly the same rate this season as he did last season, he would overtake Howe in the final match before Christmas Day. So that's something to bear in mind, because that could be a really, really interesting milestone to see if he could hit. To be honest, I think... As you said, there's no doubt that Ovechkin's going to make it over kind of the 20-odd the goals that he needs to, to get past Gordie Howe this year. It's a matter of kind of when, not so much if. Um, the question for me in terms of how many puts in is how good is the team this year? Have they taken a step forward or have they taken a step back? Um, because obviously there's injuries at the top of the lineup and that's going to affect A, who Ovechkin's playing with and B, how good the team is when, when they roll out for, for the proper season in a couple of weeks' time. Um, yeah, so for me, I think he's still going to comfortably be in kind of the 40-goal range. Whether or not we'll hit the 50 again is more of a question for me. But I think, yeah, it's, it's certainly an interesting one. And with Ovechkin, it would be, I think, naive to count out the possibility that he could have another half century because you can just never kind of completely discount the possibility. Yeah, you know, there was a couple of years ago where, you know, he had a bit of dip in production and people were, you know, even crazy talking about trading him. You know, Ovechkin was past his prime. But he's getting older and kind of aging like a fine wine. Um, he was asked about it um, earlier, and he said, you know, listen, guys, I'm not going to get those 21 goals in one game. My goal is for this Capitals team to win another Stanley Cup. And I think that that answer was a bit of posturing and by design kind of to 
take the spotlight off of him and worry about, you know, broader goals of having this Capitals team win another Stanley Cup because he doesn't want to get asked in every post-game presser, you know, when are you going to get 21 goals? When are you going to get 21 goals? But Alex Ovechkin is going to have to do it without his right-hand man in Nick Backstrom. And I know that oftentimes they don't play on the same line anymore, but Backstrom has assisted on 274 of Ovechkin's career goals. Ovechkin has assisted on 106 of Backstrom's career goals. Additionally, Backstrom has assisted on 117 of Ovechkin's NHL record 279 career power play goals. So you got to think that, you know, I know that generally speaking, Kuznetsov is the top line center, but sometimes when they're looking for that goal scoring touch, you know, throughout the season, they'll put Backstrom and Ovechkin together on the same line. You got to think that to a certain extent, Ovechkin is kind of bummed out that uh, his good friend and the guy that's helped contribute to his uh, success, Nick Backstrom, is going to miss a line's share of the season. For sure. And it's not even just a case of the personal chemistry that they have between the two of them, obviously, even if they never saw any ice time together, it's a huge loss for the team. And as Ovechkin has kind of said, it's it's more about the team than, than chasing the record down. And what I would say about chasing the record down as well is that it, you reference kind of the, the rough couple of years he had kind of a fair while ago now. Even if he kind of recreated that level of production for the rest of this contract, he'd still be on course to get very close to Gretzky, if not still over it's going to overtake him anyway. So I think that's worth bearing, bearing in mind in that kind of conversation as well. But I think the additions that Washington have made to the top six are quite impressive, especially when you look at the cap hits and the age where they're bringing the, these guys in. So for me, Backstrom is obviously a huge loss. It's one that they're going to have to navigate, though, because I think we said previously kind of hip resurfacing surgery is, is a huge deal. Um, it's something that athletes really struggle to come back from. We've seen it in multiple sports, not just hockey. Um and yeah, it's going to be one of the most fascinating kind of narratives to to watch this season, I think. Yeah, he was asked about it, um, you know, in the when they were at the training camp. And, you know, he they were kind of pressing him and, you know, kind of trying to take a negative spin. And the one thing I'm going to say about Nick Backstrom is he's a very optimistic man. And I give him, you know, kudos for that because I don't know if I would be as optimistic if I was in his uh, position. And they kind of pressed him and they asked him, you know, are you aware of the success rate of this? And, you know, obviously kind of a negative spin. And they asked him, are you aware of any players that have come back from this? And he did reference a couple of players from the uh, Swedish Elite League. So I guess it is possible. I'm going to try to be optimistic here. But just talking about Nick Backstrom for a moment here. I'm more concerned about Nick as the human than the hockey player. I know as a Caps fan, you're like, well, you've got to come back. You know, you lead the team in assists and all these goals and that kind of thing. But, you know, he was talking about that he was having a hard time tying his shoes or putting his shoes on or even playing with his kids. And he, this is something that he has struggled with for some time. So I think that, you know, to a certain extent, you got to kind of remove hockey from the equation and go, okay, just let him take his time and come back. Uh, you know, chances are it's going to be towards the tail end of the season, if at all this season, just based on that long-term injured reserve money and all that kind of stuff. But um, I want to be more concerned about Nick as the person than the hockey player. What are your thoughts on that? For sure. And I think the other thing to mention with that, there was an article in, in the Swedish press over the summer where he said kind of the surgery has had a huge impact just on his day-to-day -day life already. So as you say, even if he doesn't return and be the same hockey player, and to be honest, it would be very difficult to see him coming back and being the same hockey player just because of A, the injury and B, his age. But it's already made quite a big difference in terms of his lifestyle. And that's that's obviously a major thing. And if he does come back and if he does produce at a similar level, that will be really important as well because a guy isn't going to produce 
offense at an elite rate in the NHL if he can't tie his shoelaces in day-to-day life. So you ha- it's, it's not one without the other. You have to have both to, to be able to function as, an, as a kind of professional athlete. So, yeah, I think it's really important that he just gets healthy and then see where it takes him. He sounds... When you compare his kind of final season, at, kind of at the end of last season, he had the, the media availability. It was very negative from him. It wasn't very optimistic. The only person who was optimistic sounding was Ovechkin. And that, to be honest, was bluster, to, to put it lightly. Um, and since then, it, the organisations sound a bit happier about the situation. So I think it is heading in the right direction. It's not something that's worth revisiting constantly through the season, I guess, because he'll be ready when he's ready, if he's ready. So, yeah, I think steady progress, but small progress. And I think that's kind of worth bearing in mind. And I think to a certain extent that uh, Brian McClellan and the brain trust of the Washington Capitals kind of looked at the statistics because uh, in order for him to come back, they're going to have to free up some of that long-term injured reserve money. You know, they went out and signed Connor Brown and Dylan Strome, and we'll talk about that a bit later in the show. But, you know, I do hope that he can come back. You know, at the end of the day, that's what I'm talking about is I'm concerned um, about Nick Backstrom, the player. And, uh, you know, he brings a lot of intangibles to the game. It's not just what he does on the ice. He's a real leader. Um, you know, uh, Tom Wilson was talking about, you know, I look to him for motivation. Sometimes when I don't want to hit the gym, I look at Nick and all he's come up against and he's, you know, kind of busting his butt at the, in the weight room, you know, and it kind of just has kind of refocused him and kind of given him some new uh, respect for him. All right. So after the break, we are going to talk about Nick Backstrom's replacement and Dylan Stroman. We'll talk about Connor Brown. We'll talk about that next. BetOnline.net is your number one source for football info this season. Find all of the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game you can find. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf, Head to betonline.net or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online where the game starts. All right, welcome back into this edition of Locked On Capitals, where it's your team every day. In this edition, I'm joined by Luke James of the Hockey Writers as we talk about this Capitals team kind of in in transition. A lot of question marks out there. There's some young guys that are vying for jobs out there. We'll talk about that in the show. But next, let's talk about um, Nick Backstrom's replacement. Let's talk a little bit about Dylan Strom. You know, he is coming from a Blackhawks team that, you know, appears to be a bit of a dumpster fire out there. And, uh, but he is, who is ostensibly slated to be Nick Backstrom's uh, replacement. Um, The Capitals signed the former Blackhawks center to a one-year deal worth 3.5 million. Strom, the third overall pick in the 2015 NHL draft. And, uh, you know, not a real apples for apples comparison because, you know, Strom has not been in the league as long as Nick Backstrom has been, but those are some huge shoes to fill. And, uh, you know, there are some guys that are kind of going to fight him for that job. I think that Connor McMichael and Hendricks LaPierre kind of came in with some swagger from camp and said, you got to come in with confidence. How do you see that second line center position shaking out? And where does Dylan Strom fit in to all that? Yeah, I would say it's Strom's 
position to lose lose currently is, is where my head's at because I think we've seen previously with how the coaching staff has been with the younger players especially at forward a little bit reluctant to throw them into the top six so for me I think Dylan Strom is the guy they brought into the club to play that top six role and I think he's going to get the opportunity to start off there and make it his own position um as you say it's obviously not a like-for-like replacement for Nicholas Backstrom they the, the ceilings of the two players are very very different but he produced 48 points in 69 games for Chicago last season. He's six foot three, so he really does fit what Washington are looking for in in the top six forward. Most importantly, as well, only a 3.5 million dollar cap hit, which is just so so handy, especially given the cap considerations that they've got at Capital One Arena at the minute as well. Important to remember, he's still only 25, which, considering the Capitals have injury problems, number one, and also have one of the older rosters in the league. That's something that when you get into those busier months of the season will be really, really important. So for me, I like the repl- I like him as kind of a, a de facto replacement for, for Nick Backstrom. I think one of the one of the members of the team said, look, we're replacing him by committee this year. And I think that's totally right. It's not all going to come from one source. But Strom as a foundation piece, I, I like I, I like it a lot. But as you say, there's going to be competition for that spot with the likes of, of McMichael in particular and as you say, his comments to the media the other day, he was very, very, very bullish about the idea that he, A, is a centre, and B, wants to play in the top six, which, to be honest, I love for a player in what his his second full season in the NHL. Yeah, and I, one of the things that I like is he kind of, he came into this team with kind of a chip on his shoulder as, like you know, Connor Brown and, and Charlie Lindgren. They're all like, you know, we kind of felt like we were discarded by our former teams, and we're going to use that as fuel to kind of uh, propel us forward here. So do you think, you know, with Connor McMichael and Hendricks LaPierre out there, do you think that they are going to battle for him for that position? Or do you see someone like a Connor McMichael more slated as a third line center and Lars Eller's uh, replacement or perhaps a fourth line uh, left wing? I think McMichael this year has to play center. He said quite bluntly the other day, like that his natural position is center and he's only not played center a handful of times. So for him moving forwards, he's, he's obviously desperate to play through the middle it's where he wants to be. It's where he feels most comfortable. So for him, it's a priority to win a spot there. And I think this time around, he has that NHL experience. I think he's played 69 games now. So he's got to be in a good shape to either challenge for that kind of 2C spot or on the third line at centre. I think that's where McMichael's future is. And I think ultimately that's where the organisation drafted him to play. I think the plan was that's getting reps in the National Hockey League. And then once he's kind of knows the system, knows the groundwork, then we can kind of move him into a position where obviously there's more defensive responsibility. So, yeah, I, I like Conor McMichael a lot. I think he's going to be a really good player. And I think this year he's a breakout candidate, not just for the Capitals, but league-wide, because we haven't really seen him scratch the surface of, of his potential so far. Yeah, and I think the ceiling is really high on him, and I think that the future for the Capitals is bright, like you referred to earlier there. It is one of the oldest teams in the league, and that change is coming at some point. Uh, we just don't know necessarily when that is going to happen. So the other big move in um, the offseason was with Connor Brown, ostensibly to to fill in for Tom Wilson. Again, not an apples-for-apples apples comparison. Tom Wilson is a multidimensional player. He's got that big frame. He's an intimidator. He's a goal scorer. Brown, who has played seven NHL seasons for the Leafs and Senators, scored 10 goals with 29 assists in 64 games. He posted a career-best 21 goals in the 2021 season with Ottawa. Connor Brown was traded from the Senators to the Capitals for a 24 
2024 second round pick. He had 10 goals last season. And, you know, this is kind of an interesting thing. And I brought this up with uh, JJ Regan uh, last week is it's uh, again, um, Pim minutes for Tom Wilson last year was 98, Connor Brown 10. So the Capitals are really going to need someone to be that enforcer out there. You know, it could be an Anthony Mantha, something like that out there. Um, but, you know, they did lose a bit of their sandpaper and some of that intimidation factor that Tom Wilson brings just kind of intrinsically. Um, do you think that Connor Brown is up for that top line right wing? Or do you see someone, you know, like a TJ Oshie or a Connor Sheary filling that role? Yeah, so in, in my projection so far, I've kind of had Oshi as, as that top top line right winger. Um, Connor Brown, as you say, really, really interesting player, as as you say, as kind of Tom Wilson's de facto replacement. As you said, 39 points, 64 games last year, which is really pretty decent for kind of a middle six contributor. That's kind of what I see him as. Um, he has leadership experience as well, which I think considering this year is going to be quite tough on the Capitals, I think, just considering how much better the Eastern Conference has got, the division has got much tougher and they've lost several key players to injury. You need someone who's been around and, and kind of seen, not at all, I don't think he's been beyond the first round of the playoffs, but he's seen a lot and he's going to be useful. So I think for me, Connor Brown is someone who could slot in pretty much at any point in this lineup and be a good player for them because he's kind of got that style and he's got that kind of verve that, that the Capitals like in a player like that. And I think the other thing to bear in mind as well, Tom Wilson's recovery seems to be going quite well. So when will he be that? I think the discussion about Tom Wilson is more interesting in terms of recovery timeframes because there could be a very real possibility of him coming back sooner than expected. And then, okay, Brown slides further down the lineup and then it's a completely different proposition. Because if you're looking at Brown as like a third line right winger, that's a very kind of different complexion in terms of the quality of a lineup. It adds so much more depth. So I think this is going to be a signing that really, really pays off or a trade that really, really pays off once Wilson is back in particular, I think that's something to, to kind of look forward to kind of under the radar, because that will be really, really important. Yeah. And I mean, I think he was a really big um, acquisition for this team, uh, you know, tough on the puck. And I guess one of his strong suits is on the penalty kill. So those are all good boxes to check off for this Caps team. Um, and so let's just talk next a little bit about goaltending. The hugest, most glaring problem with this team last season was with Ilya Samsonov and Vitek Vanacek. And I think everyone was a bit surprised uh, when they didn't give either one of those guys qualifying offers. And, you know, Brian McClellan kind of swung for the fences and connected by signing the biggest netminder, free agent netminder on the, on the market by Kemper. And 57 games for Colorado in 21-22. Kemper went 37-12-4 with a .921 save percentage and a 2.54 goals against. He then posted a 10-4 record and a .902 save percentage in route to the cup. Uh, they then also signed Chuck or Charlie Lindgren. It depends on who you're asking. Um, how do you feel the Capitals are now with, you know, picking up the biggest name in the free agent market. And it seems like a pretty suitable backup as well. This is actually where I'm most torn ahead of the new season, to be honest. I, I'm not 100% sure they're going to be better, but they're definitely, as you say, a lot different from last season. So I've, I've written about the goaltending situation quite a lot in Washington. And the issue that always stood out to me last season is that you couldn't trust Vanasek or Samsonov to consistently perform at a good level. Like, they'd be fine for a couple of games and then they'd crash through the floor and it wouldn't be great. And that's obviously a huge issue because, for me, netminded is, is that position where it's a non-negotiable. If you want to be a good team, you have to have good netminded. And I think the Leafs kind of rode their luck a bit last year with kind of how 
up and down their net mining situation wasn't how many games they won. But I think the point is, if you want to win a lot of games, you need to have, at the very least, consistently average goaltending, and that's not what Washington had last time out. My big concern in terms of in terms of the tandem that, that the team has got now is is not about Darcy Kemper, because I think he's going to be good as long as he stays healthy. Important to remember, of course, there's always a risk that I, I think he's 32 now. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. But there's always a risk that guys get injured. If you play in goal for that long in the National Hockey League, there's always a chance that your hip goes or whatever. So bearing that risk in mind and putting that to one side for a minute, the concern that I have is that Lindgren is a bit untested as a number two. Like he only played five games in St. Louis last year, had brilliant stats in, in fairness, but again, it's only five games. And again, he played really, really well in the American Hockey League last year. But I think it's, it isn't unreasonable su- to suggest or to wonder about what would happen if Kemper went down with an injury. Because if that happened, would Lindgren be ready to fill the shoes? Right. And then further down the lineup, would Washington have enough depth to kind of cover that? And that's kind of fair and unfair at the same time, because you could say that about virtually any team in any professional sport. So like, what happens if your number one goalkeeper goes down? It's not going to be pretty. But I think the risk that the Capitals have, have kind of taken here, and they have rolled the dice on the idea that Lindgren is going to be the stand-up number two guy. And that, for me, remains to be seen. I think it will work, and I'm kind of optimistic that it might. But it's it, it's the one risk that I think they've really taken this year. Yeah, you know, when they signed Darcy Kemper, myself included, we were all drinking the Darcy Kool-Aid. And, you know, like, oh, my God, we got Darcy Kemper out there. You know, that was with uh, Colorado's defense in front of him. So the biggest bugaboo of of um, Darcy Kemper is his health. And it's not something that is spoke of often. The 31-year-old has missed 83 games through injury since his NHL debut and 50 In the last two seasons alone, as we know, he took that stick up high last season against the Predators and had to retrain his eye. He does seem to be a bit prone to being bit by the injury bug. Um, How concerned are you about that? And uh, I'll just kind of tie this in as well. I saw your piece that you wrote about um, Zach Fucale and how he played. I do think that they have a good option as a number three in Zach Fucale. Um, Worst case scenario, do you think that would be a good tandem? So just to kind of tie those two things together, how concerned are you about injury? And is Fukale a really good number three option? Sure. So my answer to that one, I think I'm always a bit concerned about injuries, especially in in goal, because if your number one guy gets injured, then you're really in trouble, Um, especially if you've got that untested number two. And you can see how quickly situations unravel if you put someone in goal for a run of games and it just doesn't work out. So yeah, that's that's my only only concern about about Kemper, and it's not to say that I think he's particularly injury prone, because as you say, he had that eye injury that was completely accidental, completely accidental a, and also a freak incident that is completely beyond his control as well, um, yeah. and also explains why his playoff numbers last year weren't as good as his regular season numbers, because as you point out, he he spent most of the postseason retraining his eye, which I think is pretty integral for a netminder. Um, Fukali, I, I like as well. I think he's good and he's risen up the depth chart in, in Hershey with the Bears. And I think that's an important thing to remember. The exhibition that they played a couple of nights ago, he ended off with, what, 15 saves on 17 shots, made, made a couple of really, really good saves as well. So I think in terms of the number three position, they look good. They've also got Clay Stevenson as well, kind of on the units as well. So for me, it should be okay. I honestly do think it should be okay, but there's always that little bit of a risk element when you've got a guy that's untested as, as your number two. And and for me, that, that that's where my head's up. I'd love to be proven wrong, is what I'm kind of thinking for the Capitals as, as the season progresses. 
Yeah, and I hate to nitpick at stuff like that, but, you know, I'm trying to widen the lens a little bit and kind of just see who he really is. I don't want to look at all the positives. I want to see, you know, the totality of his career. All right, so after the break here, we're going to talk a little bit about last summer's draft and how we think the Capitals did. We'll talk about that after the break. All right, welcome back into this edition of Locked On Capitals, where it is your team every day. In this episode, I am joined by Luke James of the Hockey Writers, and uh, I was meaning to speak with you last summer about this. The Capitals went out and signed Ivan Miroshnishenko, um, and what they're saying about him is that he's a top 10 selection, but if it wasn't for you know, his Hodgkin's lymphoma, he could have been a top five uh, left wing. You know, Is this going to be an Alex Ovechkin 2.0, or what are your thoughts uh, on Ivan? Alex Ovechkin 2.0 might be a stretch. Um, but no, I, I, there's a lot to like about this player. So you, I think you've kind of covered the concerns that you'd have. At this point, it's really difficult to know whether they drafted him at the right spot or not, because the concerns that you'd have about this player are, are to do with his long-term health. And obviously, not knowing his medical records or being a doctor, that's difficult for me to kind of comment on. At this point in time, what I'd say, very difficult to draw concrete conclusions. But if we go back before the diagnosis, as you say, he was seen as kind of a pretty solid top 10 pick, which makes the fact that the Capitals drafted him, I think, 20th overall, really quite a coup, to be honest, if it does all work out. And again, it's quite a big if. I would return quickly to something that the assistant general manager said on the draft floor at the time. So he said, this is Ross Mahoney. He said, we're looking at a player who we had quite high on our list, and we thought it was really good to be able to get him at 20th overall. It's a little bit like last year with Hendricks Lapierre, who we rated really highly and moved up a couple of spots to get. It's the kind of scenario we ended up getting the guy who was quite high on our list. He went on to talk about how the fact that kind of this is a player they spoke about with Washington's medical staff, and the medical staff obviously gave their opinion, and they were still happy to make the pick. So not knowing the information that they've got, not knowing kind of his long-term situation when he's going to be back on the ice full time, it's difficult to put a concrete prediction on this. But considering the Capitals do have all of this information and they still pulled the trigger and went with this guy, considering all of the other complicating factors with the fact that he's still an avant-garde prospect in, in the KHL, is currently playing, well, would be playing in the VHL this season, which is kind of the, the junior Russian league. Um all those complicating factors, they still made the pick. I think that's a reason to be optimistic that, that they think this will work out. And again, if you go back to what elite prospects said about him, they say he's a guy with elite skating, shot and size that makes him tough to manage for opponents. It's obviously a gamble. There's, there's no dispute in the fact that it's a gamble because life is tricky and, and who knows what will happen in the future. But it's a, it's a bet the Capitals were willing to make. And often when the Capitals bet on a guy, the bet comes off. So yeah, that, that would be my piece on on the on the 20th overall pick this time around and you know just looking at him i was watching some highlight footage before um i came on the air with you here and just i gotta say his play over in russia is most uh impressive and just it seems to be uh you know a real leader they were saying he was always the captain of the under 17 and under 18 team and even the tournament last november was the number 20. He was the assistant captain, probably an indicator of his character. I remember seeing him in the under 18 world champions in Germany. So 
Uh, it does seem like he does have that leadership quality. And, you know, it is a bit of an ambitious goal to be an Alex Ovechkin 2.0. But, you know, you never know in time what he'll end up being. So the Capitals ended up signing or drafting rather another big player. Uh, they traded away Vitek Vanacek to move up in the draft and get Chesley, a defenseman. Um, I do think he's, you know, what they're calling him is a shutdown defenseman. And also watching some video and reading a bunch about him, he does seem to be a really great uh, defenseman in the Washington Capitals future. Tell me a little bit on what your thoughts are on Chesley and where does he fit into the Capitals plans? So this is a guy who's a really interesting player. He's 2004 born, obviously a blue liner, was really, really, really excellent with the US national team development program. He scored 15 points in 26 USHL games last season, which is again, pretty, pretty impressive for a defenseman. Next time around in in the season to come, he's going to be playing for the University of Minnesota, which obviously is a, is a pretty good program to, to be in considering the success that they've had recently. Um, on the flip side to what you said, actually, I really like his decision-making on the puck. He's quite creative. He uses breakout passes really well. Um, and he's someone that kind of projects as a top four, kind of top, top, top two pairs kind of guy in the future at some point. So there's lots of upside there. He uses the stick well. He's pretty physical. I think there's a really, really is a lot to like about him. And again, the fact that the Capitals moved up to get this guy speaks volumes about where they see him, where they see him kind of as part of the organization's future, and also how comfortable they were going with a player who isn't the biggest defenseman. I think he's six foot at the minute. So yeah, that's someone who maybe will grow in the future, who knows, but someone who can certainly move the park, someone who can move bodies. So yeah, he's 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 an all-rounder. And I think that's something to to certainly be impressed by. Yeah, I mean, the book on him or the stats on him, Chesley was among the top players remaining up for grabs. He was ranked number 18 among North American skater in his, skaters in his coming off a strong season, which saw him score 12 goals and 17 assists in 59 games. So I do think that, uh, you know, the arrow is pointing up for him. And I do think, you know, that he is going to be a great addition to this Capitals blue line in the years to come. All right, before we end the show here, Luke, I want you to look into your crystal ball and make a prediction on how this Capitals team is going to end. Where do you think? Are they going to make the playoffs? Are they not going to make the playoffs? Are they going to win a Stanley Cup? What are your thoughts? It's going to be really difficult. Like, as I said, the Eastern Conference this season is stacked. The Senators are, are a lot better than they were last season, as are the Detroit Red Wings and the Columbus Blue Jackets. You've also got to consider the fact that there are injuries in play in Washington, Tom Wilson, Nicholas Backstrom, so on and so forth. It's going to be tough. For me, I think they just about hold on to the second wildcard spot. And from there, it's a lottery as to how far they go in the playoffs. I think they'll hold on simply because the teams that are going to be chasing them up, the likes of Ottawa, the likes of the New York Islanders for those wildcard spots, have a lot of ground to make up. And I think just about Washington will pull through. And we'll see where they go from there. It, it could all change if, if if there's a big move in the season. That's where this picture could change a lot. And again, a lot of it depends on how well they start off. Because if they start off well, even without some of their core pieces, that will have a significant impact on hopefully how the season progresses. If they start badly and end up in kind of like like the New York, New York Islanders were last season, where they started kind of horrifically. Obviously, there were factors to do with where they were playing games and so on. But if they have a rough start, it will be very, very difficult to overturn. So they need to start well. And then I see them kind of holding on to that second wild card spot. But it's going to be tough. 
Yeah, everyone I've been talking to, uh, some of the Caps uh, beat writers and insiders, they're saying they're a bubble team at best. So I think this Caps team has really got to kind of prove everyone uh, wrong. They went out and they signed all the big pieces out there. Let's see if they can put those pieces into motion. All right, Luke, James, thank you for joining me on this edition of Locked On Capitals. Before I let you go here, where can we find your work? Uh, so you can find me for the Hockey Writers. So I cover the Washington Capitals and also the Ottawa Senators now. And you can follow me on Twitter at LukeJames underscore 32. And you'll get lots of tweets about hockey in the UK, soccer around the world, and obviously, of course, the Washington Capitals and Ottawa Senators. Luke James, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for making Locked On Capitals your first listen every day. Now make your second listen Locked On NHL. Locked On experts give you a daily 30-minute podcast on all things NHL all year long. Stay up to date on everything in the hockey world. Locked On NHL, your daily 30-minute NHL podcast. So once again, thank you for joining me on this edition of Locked On Capitals, where it's your team every day. My name is Dan Holmey, and I'll talk to you again next time.